Hello, thanks for joining us. This is Beer Books Podcast. I'm Daisy Ray. And I'm April Berry. How have you been then this week? Um, absolutely shattered, if I'm perfectly honest with you. I've just started a new shift pattern at work, so I'm on like four on, four off working 12-hour days. And all I've done is sleep in between, so I've done nothing until today. Oh, bless you, but you've got four days off though now, haven't you? Yes, result. There you go then, you see. Yeah, I had a bit of uh, a, a mad lunacy um, the other day because, you know, we can go out and we can exercise with one person. So uh, a friend of mine messaged me, asked me if I wanted to go on a bike ride. So I kind of arranged we work. We went out our fate one morning and we got back and it was a bit warmer than what it was when we went out and it was minus 6.1. Ouch. I know that was when we got back. It was a tad cold. Mm. It was very invigorating and it must be mad, but... Invigorating? Yeah, it was completely insane. Yeah, absolutely completely insane. Well, yeah. Can we just go back to the sane side of life then and just let's talk about Listed and LJ Kerry. Get back to books. (laughs) Absolutely, of course we can. Yeah, I've got to say it's been a different kind of book. Um, We've both sort of reviewed it and here's what we think about it. This is my review then for this week's book. For a young author, LJ Kerry has woven quite the story. Listed is a dystopian adventure that we follow from the perspectives of her two main characters, Judas and Nadine, both young adults, as is the author herself. So straight away, we know she can relate to them. Judas is part of the underground rebellion, while Nadine is an above-ground ally from a neighbouring country. I have to admit to getting... A bit lost on occasion, and there are areas where it all becomes a little bit disjointed. That said, though, this story has a world of potential, and I actually enjoyed the plot as a whole. It was satisfyingly disturbing that some humans were barcoded like any other possessions you might own. A very creative touch. There was also a fair amount of torture and abuse with next to no excuse to use it because they can seem to be just fine, and the randomness of it certainly kept everyone on their toes and following orders. Up to a point, that was. The rebellion was there for a reason. The links between the countries or zones was tenuous at best, but again, if you can gloss over that, the story is one that does appeal to me, and I would be interested to see where this author's writing story takes her. I believe her demographic, the older teens to 20s, will soak this up. And if LJ continues to write as a career, then her and her audience will grow together. And I can see that she could be a real hit in the future in her chosen genre. It was quite interesting what you said about the book, because I was really confused. Whose perspective am I actually reading this from? I couldn't work out whether it was Nadine or it was Judas. I remember, I remember because I said to you, just read the chapter heading, but... But you were right in a way. They are really similarly written, even though the characters themselves aren't similar. Because you've got Nadine, who was brought up in the open above ground. But then you've got Judas, whose half his life is underground. Yeah. He has to keep his love life secret because homosexuality is something you can die for. Um, It's great that we've got an LGBT hero in the book leading the rebellion. I do quite like that aspect of it. But they're so very different, but written so similarly. I think that's what caused the confusion. Yeah, but I think that's credit to LJ Curry that her writing is consistent and the way she writes is consistent throughout the book. That was just possibly me being a bit of an old geek, really. 
she she is um she has a definite style yeah i agree with that yeah. and for a young writer and she is a young writer i think she's only in her early 20s isn't she for a young writer i think she's already going in the right direction and i think it's amazing that she's got this book out there and for such a complex and complicated subject a dystopian world out there she took off a big chunk and she's carried it really really well I've put some bits and pieces in my review that alludes to that dystopian society and, and yeah. from a historical sort of point of view. Okay, so let's let's hear yours then. Right, so my first impressions in this book were actually quite good. It's a first novel from a younger author, younger than we've ever reviewed on the podcast before. And sort of having spoken with the author, I realised that this is a subject that she's got a massive interest in. And it does show in the book. I've read a few books for the podcast that I would never have picked up under ordinary circumstances. This is a genre that I can honestly say, hand on heart, I've never read a single book about until now. Whether I'll read another one's a question I actually can't answer, but that's absolutely nothing to do with this book. The book and the development of the characters was interesting. There was a sportiveness for one another in the dysfunctional way that the community was run. I really like the way that Judas and Nadine met. I also macabrely like the concept of educators, not teaching people mainstream lessons, though, but educating them what's going to happen to them if they don't behave. I was reading through the book and I found it quite easy to read. I realised that I possibly weren't the demographic that LJ Kerry was pitching this book to. I was a bit too old, I think. Any wisdom and education had me some sort of second guessing things in places, what was going to happen, but an enjoyable read all the same. It did remind me in places of certain actions taken historically by dictators, world leaders, things like that, the types of things that they did to control the people. So it was a, I was a little bit unnerved with that. That said, it held my interest to the end. I like the way the book didn't shy away from dealing with mental health issues and human relationships, especially between the, the romance between Carlos and Judas, so the, the homosexuality side of it. So it dealt with and didn't shy away from those issues. And it's so strange the things we take for granted. The book finished with a line I thought was really telling when Judas remarks he's never eaten lobster. <laughs> well, a lot of us have never eaten lobster. I have now, but it's taken me a lot longer than Judas's 20-something years. Yeah, it's kind of sort of one of those things that I, mind you, are like all, all fish. So it's one of those things that I sort of explored at quite an early age and, and do like, and it was just, I found it really, really weird. Yeah. You brought up some really interesting concepts in your review, actually, talking about the way that countries are run and the fact that, you know, there are a lot of dictatorships in the world that use fear and, and the threat of death or, or torture. Inflicting anguish on people. Yeah. And there are, when, when you look back historically, you've, you've only got to look back, you, you know, look back to the middle of the, or the sort of earlier of the, the 20th century and a lot of things that have happened. And in countries and things that I suppose are, st are still happening now. I and mean, when you look at the, the communist regime from the, the, the end of mid 40s to the end of, well, 1980s, when it, I'm not suggesting they barcoded people because obviously they didn't. But the, there was a lot of, of fear, the way that people behaved and they didn't do certain things for fear of being found out. Yes. You know, and then it was all about spying on your neighbour and things like that. Yes, because Judas was very, very weary of his brother, Michael, Yeah, um, letting it slip 
that he was in a relationship with Carlos and the repercussions that could happen. And he didn't really trust Michael to keep that to himself. And I know Michael was like 14 years old, so he's not older in any way, shape or form. So he's still quite immature and pubescent, really. Yeah. But he did still keep it to himself and he did look after his family and he did do what he could. And like any siblings, he just made more of it to his brother to wind him up. It's what you do, isn't it? In real life, brothers wind one another up. Yeah. He had no intention of doing anything at all to get his brother into trouble. No. I mean, it was was interesting and, and I did enjoy it. I found it easy to read. I didn't really have to think a lot about what I was reading. Yeah. But I actually do like a style of writing. It was an interesting concept, I will agree. Um, I liked the story as a whole. So there are little bits of it that were a bit disjointed. But I think for the age that she is and the audience that she's aiming for and the story that she's written, I think she's absolutely headed in the right direction. I really do. Yeah, me too. I want to take you back to that that bit, though, where you're saying where things are a little bit disjointed. Yeah. But is that could that not be put into the show-not-tell category? No, no, I don't think so. Like, for okay. instance, when they there's like all the flooding and they're they're in the boat and they're trying to escape and get out and and one of them's overboard and being pinned down by doors or planks of wood and they're having to rescue one another to get through the underground in the rebellion to get through to is it Olympia? Yeah. And then when they're coming back again, they're driving in a car. Yeah, but they just might be coming back a different route. So why didn't they leave by that route? Why did they have to go through the floods and and fear of death of drowning and then drive back? Why didn't they just drive out? See, I didn't pick that up. I just got really confused. And it might be that there is actually a logical explanation for that. But because it was a bit disjointed, I didn't connect it. So for me reading it, it felt like they went through hell getting out and then just drove back in a car. But it might not be like that. It might just be that that's the way it read and I missed the link because it was disjointed. So I didn't didn't pick up on that at all. Yeah. I I did like the story. It's not the sort of thing that I would normally read about. It's not not my sort of pick of book. Yeah. Um, But having said that, I am glad I read it. It is mine. I I would choose this style of story. I do like the dystopian angle. I do like all of this worlds within worlds and and dictatorships and rebellions and and all of this, the way that I think the concept and the things that have gone through LJ's head to be able to write this book, I think that's amazing. I think all credit to her. It's absolutely amazing that she's got all of that in her head. And to get it all out and onto paper and written down like that is brilliant. The style I do absolutely love. I think I would just prefer it when she's a little bit more seasoned, and she's got a little bit more time and maybe a few more stories under her belt. But for a for a debut novel, for a young girl, it's amazing. Yeah, I must admit, I'm, I will keep a lookout for the second novel, and yes. I will have a I will dig into its its covers and just see what's there. Yeah, yeah. We spoke to LJ, so let's have a listen to the interview itself. Today, then, we have got LJ Kerry, the author of Listed with us. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Hi, welcome. We've been reading Listed for the past couple of weeks over the Christmas holidays. The best place to start, then, is 
if you wouldn't mind, LJ, introducing yourself in your own words and telling us about you as an author. Uh, so uh, I'm LJ Carey as an author. Uh, this is my first book. So I've been writing since I was really young. I'm like I'm a huge bookworm. I've just I've just been aspiring to be an author ever since, really. Always been a bookworm then, have you? As soon as I started reading around like four years old, I've always been like into books. As like a child, I've like had like this massive bookcase and like just devouring books all the time. It's, my mum calls me a bookworm and she's like, oh, you're always, you're always in a book. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good place to be, if I'm honest. You can visit whatever world you like. Yeah, so it's like, especially uh, during this year where it's like, you're stuck in the house all the time so you can like travel to like all these different destinations and you don't have to like leave the house or anything absolutely yes especially in lockdown you are perfectly correct there so what sort of books did you read as a child then lj uh so like fantasy books um there was like you know like jacqueline wilson books uh roald dahl things like that as well so what sort of inspired the style of writing that resulted in this book? I think it was a combination of a lot of different authors. So there, there was like, I've just got uni when I started writing the book. And then because of how I got taught how to write uni, and then I started reading like things like Divergent. I started reading like Hunger Games, Maze Runner. I think I, I combined all those writing styles into like my, my own writing. And that's kind of how... I got into the story that way. So dystopian sort of style is your thing then, really, to read and to write, would you say? Yeah. So at the moment, like, I'm testing out fantasy, but uh, it's just, like, I think dystopian is where, like, I've found my actual, uh, like, what I'm good at, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. But would you consider straying completely away from this genre? Uh, I want to keep with the dystopian genre, but I don't mind testing out other genres. Like, throughout my writing journey, I've, I've tried horror. I've tried, you know, vampires when Twilight was a big thing. Yeah. Uh, I've tried, like, urban fantasy and high fantasy. It's like, whatever inspiration strikes, like, I'll try and write it. And if it's viable, then I'll show it to people. Hmm. That answer there implies that you've got lots of started off stories in all these different genres. If you don't use them as those, will you like try and bring in all of that information that you've already got on those story plots that you've already got into your next novel? Yeah, so at the moment I'm in between writing a high fantasy book um, and I'm writing the sequel to Listed because it's going to be a series. Okay. So hopefully that, like... When I finish all that, it'll come by, I'll be able to like share those ideas from other books and other plots and bring them together in like one big book kind of thing. Yeah. What, what would you describe as high fantasy? Uh, it's, you know, like things like uh, Game of Thrones, like uh, Court of Thrones and Roses. Um, what other ones is there? Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of like that one. So like Game of Thrones, The Witcher, um, a Court of Thorns and Roses, The Cruel Prince, stuff like that. That's that's why I class as high fantasy. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I mean, that that's not the sort of stuff that I would read, so it's kind of interesting to find out what the different, yeah. you know, different genres are. So sort of talking about that, Centre, do we take it that those people that have written those books are your favourite authors or do you have other favourite authors? Uh, I have too many favourite authors to count, to be honest, so, like... <laughs> Like, I, I love, like, fantasy and I love dystopia, so, like, if it comes to it, like, I, I'll write, like, a fantasy dystopian mashup kind of thing. I've seen I've seen some authors do that. 
So that that might be in the calling in the future, to be honest. Who do you like reading? You know, who who are the, the authors that you like reading their books? So like James Patterson is one of them. Like that's my comfort read. So like Maxman Ride, that one I love. Other authors I've gotten into recently is Catherine Jacks, uh, Sarah J Mass, uh, and that those kind of authors. Like I just, anything that gets me sucked into it, I love those kind of authors. Yeah. Do you think you would try and mimic your favourite authors and use their styles in your sort of as an homage to that author? Yeah, that's that's what I have done with uh, with Listed. So I took lots of uh, the writing styles that I found in my favourite authors and I used their style of writing and description to be able to create my own world uh, in my own, my own words. Yeah. I mean, I've got to say, I'm with you on the James Patterson thing. He's wrote all sorts of stuff and brilliant. Yeah, so the Maximum Ride series, that one's uh, where, where it kicked off with, like, dystopian for me. I mean, I know it's, like, a sci-fi one, but later on in the books, it changes to, like, the dystopian, what you've got. And now i found out he's written, like, a spin-off series of the Maximum Ride. It's like, okay, I might, might like, branch off into, like, his other books and see, see what they, they are like. He's good. Yeah, he's, he's really good. Like, And because the stories are fast-paced and you get like sucked into them, I, I love those. This is the first time I've actually ever read a gay sex scene in a book, but written by a woman. That part must have been quite difficult to do. Did you write him as gay because you could relate more to that side of his character rather than him being like a Rambo type? I wrote him as gay because I wanted that inclusivity in the book. So I wanted to showcase like, okay, like things can be really bad for LGBT people, especially in the environment he lives in. So I don't relate to that side of his character at all, to be honest, because um, I'm I'm heterosexual. But I just thought, right, I need, I want to have some inclusivity and I wanted to like kind of showcase the normality of being LGBT and I wanted to make it as normal as possible. Yeah. So I had like a lot of um, a lot of sensitivity uh, readers who were in the LGBT community, and they they like showed me how not to like stereotype him and like not show like that that is part of his personality. I wanted to like make sure it was like secondary to that. Um, I do actually quite like the the whole the way that the rebellion is run in the book. And the fact that Judas was held back from helping to run the rebellion and he thought it was just because it was Carlos's boyfriend and it didn't really matter and he shouldn't really be included in a lot of stuff. But actually he was he was really helpful in the rebellion. He was he was a really good character, he was a strong character. I really liked the characters in the book. I liked Nadine, I thought she was a strong character. I liked Judas, I liked Carlos. Um, there was a lot of characters. You had like a lot of like secondary characters in the story, which was really nice. There was there was a lot going on, so you didn't get bored too easily at all. Which is good. <laughs> I'm going to sort of echo what Daisy said. I was slightly confused at first when I started reading it because I'm going to say I'm not the brightest button in the box. Don't tempt me to answer that. <laughs> no, I won't. <laughs> but I was I was a little bit confused when I started reading and I had to say to Daisy, how do I know which one I'm reading about? She went, read the heading and the chapters, you idiot. <laughs> so I was like, oh, yeah, right, okay, I'll do that. But I I was really pleased with the ending. Yeah. And it was really funny that the last part of the book, the last, the last, next to the last sentence in the book, I've never eaten lobster before it was banned during the regime. I thought that was a real nice little sentence. That actually said an awful lot about 
what they'd gone through to where they'd arrived at. Yeah, I, I felt, felt that as well. Yeah, I thought that was that was that summed it all up. You know, never been allowed to eat lobster before. What time frame is the book in? Uh, so it's set in a parallel universe of 2020. So it stretches from like October until like December time. That is the timeline of the book. And at the end, it's like December 2021. Okay. I do quite like the fact that in Olympia, that's like our time now with mobiles and swearing and the language and the way that they live their lives. And I love the fact that the guys that came through from Zone, are they Zone 7, Zone 14? Yeah, Zone 7 and 14. Yeah. Um, there's, there's 18 of them. Yeah, they, they had no clue whatsoever about language or what swearing was or anything. And I thought that was really cute. I really liked that part of it. Yeah, I like Michael, yeah. I found his character development with that, his transition into um, into that world, really important to showcase, like, he had no idea, like, how the other people lived. That's how brainwashed he was. Yeah. None whatsoever. He had no clue, did he? But he is very. He was very young. He was what was he? Fourteen. Yeah, fourteen. Yeah, yeah. So he wouldn't really have a lot of clue, and and looking around him because teenagers as a whole tend to be a little bit insular, don't they? They don't really look at how the world affects them personally. Yeah. So like, I felt like him discovering like that journey, and he's like, oh, like the, everything I've I've grown up to believe that's wrong, and it's just like. Yeah. So seeing him upset about that transition was like very important showcase. Yeah. Okay, something's not right about about the about like the world that Judas lives in. Yeah, definitely. Who was your favorite character to write? Uh, I think uh, Sewin was. Uh, so or like as as it's spelled, uh, Sam Hain. So yeah, I absolutely love that character. Like because of how mischievous he was. <laughs> and because like you didn't have to you didn't have to like think about about him because like it, it was just a shock factor for me so you could like literally uh, like let loose you didn't have to like hold back anything you could just like write whatever and like it would be funny so yeah yeah so was, was it purposeful LJ to write it from the point of view of, of teenagers uh so Judas and Nadine are actually um they, they are in their early 20s so Judas is 23 and uh, Nadine is 21. Uh, because it is a new adult book, then I found that was really important because like, I'm uh, I'm 24 now, so it was closer to my age range, and I felt like that was important to show, oh, it's not just teenagers who can take down this huge uh, government that, that happens. Like, because it's kind of unrealistic to expect a teenager to take down, like, a government regime or something like that there weren't very many older people in it if no any. that was yeah that was that was one of the things that I noticed at the beginning of the book and there were mentions of of you know a few older older people in it but like Daisy's just said it was all sort of that background characters really I would say old teenagers young adults that kind of thing so is that who you're aiming at in terms of, of the book? Is it that sort of age group that you're aiming at, LJ? Yeah, so 18, 18 to 25 is like the age group I was aiming at. So that's what uh, I aim for with Listed. So other than the age bracket that you were aiming at, who would be your ideal reader? Uh, so anyone who loves like dystopian books, so like if they like Handmaid's Tale, like I think people really love that. That's a constant comment I get. So in reviews, people like, Oh, I really saw Handmaid's Tale in this book. So, if you like, if you like books like Handmaid's Tale, um, 
or if they want like an older version of like Hunger Games or Divergent, then I think that appeals to those kind of readers. I mean, it appealed to me, and I'm 60 this month, older than than the demographic that you were uh, aiming for, but it actually, it did appeal to me. I know you mentioned a little bit earlier you were looking at this as a series. So is the next book in the series what you've got in the pipeline or can you? Yeah, it's a, so the next book in the series is called Rebound. And I think uh, this goes on a journey where history is kind of repeating itself for the characters. So I'd have gone through like this huge uprising and then all of a sudden there's another one, but it's from like the opposite side and they're going after them, like their freedom. So that's what the second book is going to be about. So is it going to feature some of the same characters? Yes, it's going to. So uh, unlike uh, Lister, which is two points of views from like Judas and Nadine, actually so in uh, Judas and Nadine are going to be featured as main characters. Oh, right. Excellent. Any timeline of when that is going to be out? Uh, how far along with it are you? I'm planning summer 2021, but at the moment I'm not being able to write, but uh, I'll be able to like get it sorted and hopefully finish it. I'm on draft four right now. How many drafts did you work through on this, dude? Um, I wrote like seven. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> seven drafts. <laughs> so when, when you're getting rid of bits, I mean, I'm assuming that when you're going through the drafts, you're cutting bits out or putting bits in. Do, does it ever make you sad to get rid of, of bits that you've already written? It does in a way, but then I'm like, uh, oh, that doesn't make sense to the story or my characters wouldn't say that. So uh, even though it's sad and sometimes it can be important to the plot, if it doesn't add anything, then it's like it's better to just get rid of it and just not dwell on like that that loss as long as you keep like a whole document of your, like, your past drafts. So I know there's like a whole folder in my computer with like just drafts of listed or like ideas I had but didn't actually make the final cut. Would you use them in a in a subsequent novel? Do you think? Uh, yeah, definitely. So a lot of the uh, like past ideas of listed that didn't make it to the final book are actually going to be in a rebound. So that that's like something that's tricky to fit in, but it works better in the second book than it does the first one. That's quite interesting. Yeah, really interesting. So uh, as a final um, thing, then where can we find you online, LJ? Uh, literally anywhere. So I've got my website, which is www.ljcarrybooks.com. I'm on Goodreads. I'm on BookBub. What about social media? Uh, social media, so Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Uh, so my username is usually LJ Carry Books. Thanks ever so much, LJ, for that. Uh, thank you. Uh, and we look forward to uh, Rebound coming out. Yeah, <laughs> I'm excited for that as well. It's very exciting to do, like, write as well. Thank you very much for agreeing to come and join us on the podcast today. It's been lovely talking to you. Thank you very much. Thank you, LJ. Thank you for including me as well. Thank you. <laughs> Well, that was really interesting listening to uh, LJ Kerry there. Yeah, yeah. She's very, she's very aware, isn't she, for a young writer. She seems to know exactly where her limitations are, where, where she needs to grow, where she wants to go with it, and that this is her future, that she wants to be a writer for the rest of her life. I love that. That's dedication. That yeah, me too. I was actually quite interested at sort of some of the stuff that she says and, you know, and some of the ways that she writes. Um and what she herself is interested in, because it kind of comes across in the book. And, and she has got a lot of self-awareness. 
Yes, she has, yeah. I can't wait to read some of the stuff that she publishes in the future. Because yeah. I think if she continues on this and she continues to grow and develop her own style and, and build on that style, that she's going to have quite a successful career in front of her. If she stays as dedicated as she is now, give her another 10 years or so, I think she's going to be one to watch. Yeah, me too. I'm just kind of wondering if you'll still be doing the podcast then, because you've got to think about the fact that I'm 60 at the end of this month. I just thought I'd get that plug in there then, just in case anybody wants to. So you really want to be telling everybody you're 60, do you? Well, I think I've got to, don't you? You know, I've got to have some pleasure this year. You know, I've not been anywhere or done anything since the 10th of March last year. I think that, you know, (laughs) I'm entitled to have a little celebration on my own with my birthday cake, with my one candle that I can blow out and sing happy birthday to myself. Well... Yeah, emergency services are a bit occupied. I wouldn't put them all, all those candles on all at once if I were you. Oi. Hey, the one thing is, though, I can sit and read. In a few years' time when I retire, I can sit and read all these authors that we've talked about on the podcast and all their future material. Yeah, I bet they're all in such different places by then. Yeah, I'll bet they are. Yeah, they'll have more books under the belts. They'll have more experience under the belts. All of them, not just LJ. No, I am looking forward to watching her grow, though. I'm interested in the next book that she's done. Anyway, what have we got coming up next week? Oh, exciting. Next week, we are back on a flash fiction episode. And the writing prompt for it is just sick of it. The deadline has just finished for that. So as we speak, we'll be in the middle of reading all of the submissions. And then next week, we get to read them and tell stories. On the episode, I love the flash fiction episodes. Yeah, I must admit, so do I as well. But then again, when I'm interviewing an author, I'm, think, I'm sitting here thinking, hands down, this is my favourite. I'm so fickle. You are fickle. It just, t- the flash fiction has just taken me back to being a teenager. <laughs> is that your English exams? Yeah, so we've gone from being a fact that I'm 60 in another few weeks' time to, oh, I'm now a teenager, look. Yeah, that's a sign of being older, isn't it? When I was young... That's what you've just done. Yeah, I suppose it is. Yeah, I'm just regressing back to uh, to being a teenager. I'm looking forward to what happens to Norman in your next flash fiction. Um, yeah, I can't say too much about it right now, but I'm absolutely elated that I've written it and, you know, it just came so naturally to me. I think I've got a little bit of a, a macabre sense of the writing style to whatever it is I write at the moment. A little bit. Yeah. No, you've got a lot. You're very macabre. I mean, come on, you know. Excuse me, did your cyclist not die a year ago? Well, yeah, there is that. But, you know, at least I'm not sat on a mountainside, you know, sharpening my antler to kill Santa. (laughs) Yeah. If you've not listened to all of the Flash Fiction episodes, then I do recommend them. The special we did for Christmas with Dean Wrigley co-hosting with the two of us. It was the beginning of something amazing. (laughs) And then on the last flash fiction with Carolyn Ward-Daniels with the January sales flash fiction, such joy. Really, really good episode. Carolyn was a joy to have on. We've kind of started off the new year with with quite a lot of happiness and quite a lot of excitement, to be fair. Yes. And we shall see what next week brings. So it's the second episode of Norman. Exciting. Right, we'll see you all next week then, guys. Take care, stay safe. Bye.
If you've read a book by an indie author that you've really enjoyed, email the title across to us at contactus at barebooks.co.uk. And if we read it, we will discuss it on the podcast. Excellent. If you happen to be an indie author and would like us to add your book to our reading list, maybe even come and talk about it on the podcast, send your suggestions to submissions at barebooks.co.uk. And if you fancy a go at writing flash fiction and want the chance to be published in our flash fiction anthology for 2021, pop onto our social media for the full list of writing prompts for this season and also the word count at Bear Books Podcast on Facebook and Instagram or at Bear Books Pod 1 on Twitter. Thanks to Simon Strong for the musical interludes. You can Instagram him at dadnap.mp3. Stay safe. Until next time. Thank you.